This edition of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by the boys at Bird Campbell. Bird Campbell Law Firm with offices in Florida and Texas, founded by a couple former Duke roommates who are still true blue to this day. For all your legal needs, Bird Campbell means business. Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 110 of the DBR podcast. Oh, do we have a good one for you because, oh, did we have a good day yesterday. The Blue Devils defeated the hated North Carolina Tar Heels by the of 74 to 64. We're going to have all the stuff on that. We're going to preview the ACC tournament. We got tons to talk about. We have the all ACC teams announced. But before we get to any of that stuff, I am Jason Evans. I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, where I have been celebrating all day long. I go now to my other colleagues, my partners in crime in Washington, D.C., Donald Wine. I'm feeling like Grayson Allen today. I'm feeling like a winner. Ooh, I like that. Very nicely done. And out in Denver, Colorado, Sam Klein. Sam, could you hear the cheers of Canada out there in Denver? Yeah, and I got a few uh, live images of, of benches burning out on the quad, so... That was great. And hey, shout out to you, Jason Evans, because because it is, I think the Oscars are going on right now. And I imagine that this is like one of your Super Bowls because um, you're such a huge movie dude. So um, thanks for doing the podcast during the Oscars. And you'll be surprised. I'm about to tell you something about the Oscars and you're going to go, holy S when I say this. My brother has been on TV three times already. He is at the Oscars tonight. Um, uh, when Jimmy Kimmel goes out in the crowd, Jimmy Kimmel literally stands right next to my brother. He, my brother is uh, the opposite of Lin-Manuel Miranda in the crowd. And the reason my brother's in the crowd is because my brother is in the music business and he represents an artist named Andra Day. And Andra is up for a, uh, a up for an Oscar tonight. She's going to be performing. So I'm recording this podcast instead of watching my brother's artist perform at the Oscars. That is dedication, gentlemen. Yeah, hey, yeah, that's pretty cool. It's a big night for, or it's a big weekend, I guess, for Duke. So you gotta, you gotta serve us first, right? There you go, there you go. And through the glory of the DVR, I'll be able to watch it like I was there the whole time. So it's no big deal. Like you know, who cares? Anyway, on to the Blue Devils defeating the North Carolina Tar Heels, seventy-four to sixty-four. We rained Cameron Hell down upon them. Uh, it was a a, a a tale of two halves. In the first half, the Blue Devils were outscored 35 to 25, 25 points in the first half. Things looked dismal. And then, then my boy Marvin Bagley took over in the second half, uh, along with Trevon Duval. They had uh, an incredible second half and led the Blue Devils to a runaway 74 to 64 victory. It assured the Blue Devils of the number two seed in the ACC tournament. Um, a lot of people say it sets them up to be in a position to perhaps get a number one seed in the NCAA tournament, and it sent the Car Carolina Tar Heels to the number six seed, <laughs> six seed in the ACC tournament. Um, if the Tar Heels have any hopes of winning the ACC, they will have to win four games in four days, which just doesn't happen unless your team is Duke last year. Last year we did that, but Carolina will not be doing it this year. But in any event, um, I am just too giddy at uh, how much fun that second half was. And I'm going to send it to you, Sam, first. Uh, how, how awesome was that game? 
So I don't have hard evidence to back this up because I don't think that any of the people who heard me say this repeatedly listen to the show. However, I said at halftime, we're definitely going to win this game. And I said throughout the second half as we kept chipping away at the lead, I told you we were going to win this game. Um, in the first half, all the mistakes that Duke was making, and most of them were on, on, the, on, the, yeah, excuse me, on the offensive side of the ball, um, were mistakes that were easily correctable. It was a lot of a lot of silly missed shots, um, free throws, free throws. It, yeah, it was a lot of it was a lot of missed free throws, and it was not like the execution was bad. It's not like there was a bad game plan. There wasn't anything that regression to the mean couldn't fix. And thankfully for the Blue Devils, regression to the mean happened about you know ten minutes later because um, it seemed like almost the entire second half Duke was just totally in control of the game. The defense locked up pretty hard in the second half. They only let Carolina score 29 points, and we know that that Carolina offense can score really quickly. Um, Duke outscored UNC by 20 points in the second half, and it didn't seem like it took a an effort that was so remarkable that like you couldn't have seen it coming from them. Um, I, I think that this was the first game in a while where we saw all five of the notional starters. I know that Javin Delorier started the game in place of Trevon Duval, but Duval ended up playing more minutes than Delorier in the end. Um, this was the first game, I think, where we saw all five starters really clicking on offense together. Um, we talked last week about how we weren't sure how Bagley fits back into the flow of the team. You know, Grayson Allen had been playing really well without him. Um, they all seemed to be playing well on Saturday night. Everybody was getting dunks. I don't know how many dunks Bagley had, um, but I'm pretty sure. And, and Jay. Jason, yeah, and Jason pointed this out to us uh, in our in our little planning group chat that uh, that Marvin Bagley may have murdered Luke May um, in the process <laughs> yeah. of of winning this game. Um, R.I.P. Yeah, R.I.P. to Luke May. He had a great hey uh, first team All ACC, a great a great way to end his life. But um, the I, I was so impressed with how the offense all worked together and. It wasn't just the starters. The subs came in and played really well, too. Um, Alex O'Connell hit a big three. Uh, Marquise Bolden um, made a, a few really nice plays uh, on defense for this team. So it was a real team effort. I think that this win is is probably the best one that they've had maybe in, in all of conference play and feels really good going into the tournament because we know from recent Duke history that the way that the se- the regular season ends can be a big indicator of how this team's going to do in the tournament. Um, and so that's a really good feeling for us going to the ACC tournament, having that two seed, which which they were fighting for, uh, and Carolina was too. And Carolina had a lot on the line in this game. Um, so Duke remained poised. I was impressed by that. I'm impressed by the offensive performance. I'm impressed by the defense and how they locked it up. I mean, everything in that second half was so good, and I am willing to kind of ignore all of the, all the flaws in the first half because, like I said, they were fixable. Donald... What did wait, I miss? wait, 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 wait. I, I want to toss to Donald with this. Okay. So, so first of all, I want to mention uh, Trevon Duval, who has gotten a lot of grief lately. There are a lot of people who have not been in love with his game. In the second half, he was absurd. He had six assists, no turnovers. I, I absolutely think he was the player of the game. Um, his defense was – he has such long arms, and he's incredibly quick. He was a liability when we were playing man-to-man defense. Now that we're in a zone, wow, he is great. But, Donald, I want to toss to you with this. It was just a few days ago, and I will admit I was part of the conversation. 
Just a few days ago, we had what now looks like an incredibly silly conversation about whether or not Duke was better or worse with Marvin Bagley on the floor. Do, do we feel crazy to have had that conversation now after what Bagley did against North Carolina? No, and, and what it really shows no, is that no. – Wait, 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 listen. What it means is Coach K listens to this podcast. He, he listened to our conversation, <laughs> and he said, oh, these dudes have no idea what they're talking about, and we're going to show them on Saturday. And, and that's exactly what happened. Now, now look, guys, I, I during the game, the UNC game especially, and I know you guys probably feel this way a little bit, you kind of get sucked into the game, into every single detail. And what I mean by that is when this second half started – we're, you know, everyone, it was a dismal look on outlook on the game. We weren't playing well. We were making careless decisions with basketball. We were not making free throws at all. We weren't making any jumpers. But all this, I, I looked at every single play, and all of a sudden I look up and I'm like, we're within four. We're back in this. How, like, how do we do this? And really, it got down to this. We found our grit, our tenacity, our talent, our heart, and we put it all together. You know, Marvin Bagley proved in the second half that he is the ACC player of the year, hands down. Grayson Allen, I thought he played really smooth in the second half. You could tell that his will to win was greater than anyone else's in Cameron. So I think that's what made this little, you know, this win even sweeter is that we put all that together in the second half. Those guys on the floor, we've talked about whether or not, you know, they can both have a good game. They both had a good game, but they both had an incredible second half, I thought. I thought Trayvon Duval also had a great second half. But I, I'm i going to sum up the win with this. That hug between Grayson Allen and Coach K in the last seconds of the game was everything. It, it summed up. I want to replay it a million times because that's what, in the end, this was all about. These guys came together. They fought hard to send Grayson Allen off a winner in his last game in Cameron against our rivals. There's something poetic about that. And above all that, I'm so happy that our offense came together. Our defense in the second half was clicking. And the team, this team had enough heart and determination to come back. And, and that was the difference. Are you ready for the, for the, for the Ken Palm reference here? Um, I, I, I think we said last week, Duke's worst um, ranking in, the, in Ken Palm defense was 109th. And that was about, uh, I think it was right after the NC State game. Uh, as of right now, it's 7.55 p.m. Mountain Time on Sunday. Um, Duke is 10th in the country in adjusted defensive efficiency. They've jumped about 100 spots in, in a little less than two months. That, well, is, that is unbelievable. That's absurd. Yeah, um, the, the advanced metric folks who track these things say that for the past two weeks or so, Duke has been playing better defense than anyone in the country, better than Virginia. In fact, kind of significantly better than Virginia. It is scary. But Donald, I want to go back. You mentioned the hug. Mm -hmm. um, I, I loved Grayson's huge, huge hug with Coach K. It reminded me a little bit of Wojo when he went off the court at the end of his career after we had also throttled North Carolina in Wojo's last home game. And he gave Coach K just a massive, huge hug. And I love the fact I thought about this, you know, uh, in the box score, it said that Grayson Allen played 40 minutes. He, he didn't play 40 minutes. It said he 40 played, minus. It's a 40 yeah. minus, which, which means that he was subbed out in the 40th minute of the game, like right, enough to get right. 40. The, every second he was either in the game or he was hugging Coach K. Yeah. I think <laughs> I love <laughs> that. Right. That basically counts. Yeah. Right? 
And, and the other thing I really liked was, I don't know if you noticed, um, the cameras lingered on him as he went down the line with all his other co the coaches and the teammates. The guy that he hugged the most, other than Coach K, uh, was Justin Robinson. And it occurred to me that Grayson has no classmates left. There's no one here that was there when he was a freshman. And Justin's been here for three years. He's the closest thing to a classmate that Jason that uh, sorry that that Grayson has on this team, and um, and you saw that, that those two guys really uh, really bonded and, and Grayson had a, a extra long hug for Justin Robinson on senior night. I love this stat. I'm a stat guy. Grayson Allen had 15 points, five rebounds, five assists, and five steals. He is the first Duke player to get 15 points, five rebounds, five assists, and five steals in the same game since Jason Williams, since Jay Will did it on December 4th of 1999 against DePaul. 1999. I was going to say, I, I was going to say it's been so long that Jason Williams hasn't been at Duke that he can sit in press row during the game in Cameron and all the Cameron crazies around him don't know who he is. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, th that's, that's the game that Grayson Allen had on senior night in his final game. Um, you know, what a, what a beautiful, wonderful way to go out. Guys, did you all hear Grayson's senior speech? I didn't get a chance to, actually. Um, I, but I, I saw I the video. I, wait, I want to say the, the video. You could tell how much this team loves him because the, you sent the video. We were talking earlier, and, and you sent the video of him coming into the locker room Oh God, that's great! Was done. It, it, that's awesome. That the whole team, the entire team, and even the managers were there waiting for him to douse him in water and, and celebrate with them. That is that that tells you how much this team really loves Grace and how much they wanted to win for him. Well, so uh, it, it it is a great folks find that video of Grace and Allen going into the Duke locker room. It really is a a wonderful tribute to how much they they like him and uh, and appreciate his leadership. So Grayson's senior speech. <laughs> the opening line of it, he goes, man, I'm so glad we won that game, <laughs> which I thought was just perfect. He's always um, had a way with words, Grayson Allen. Yes, yes. Uh, he he gives a shout out to his mother in the speech, and he says that she told him it was all about happiness and not tears and to not cry at all. And the crowd starts chanting Grayson's mom, Grayson's mom. And as you can imagine, she starts crying at that moment, which is, which is really sweet. I, I love there was a great moment in it where he talked about the first time he met Coach K uh, almost five years ago. And Grayson was thinking to himself, he's like, I can't believe you're even here in the same room with me. And Grayson says he was ready to commit to Duke on the spot the moment he met Coach K. Um, and, and then the best part was, you know, there were tons of signs in the stands. Um, ESPN was flashing to them all the time. I've seen tons of pictures on Twitter and elsewhere. Um, Grayson said there was one sign that really meant something to him and it was a picture of Grayson and and the sign said are you glad he came back at the top then it had a picture of Grayson at the bottom it said he never left and Grayson actually got that for his senior speech he gets that sign out of the crowd he holds it up so everyone can see it and he says I want you all to know something I never wanted to leave I never thought about leaving I knew that Duke was the best place to be and I couldn't imagine not having a night like tonight, and I would give anything to have this happen again. What a what a 
wonderful message in the era of one and done, in the era where everyone is rushing to the NBA. This is a guy who could have gone. Look, he could have absolutely gone after his sophomore. He could have gone after his freshman year. He could have absolutely gone after his sophomore year when he was a, you know, first team All-American. He struggled as a junior, but to be honest, he could have gone after his junior year if he really wanted to. It's not like the NBA was going to go, oh, he tripped a guy. I'm not going to draft him. He, he says he never thought about leaving. He never wanted to leave. Duke was the best place to be. Well, and, and, and not only think about not just the draft stock, but you talked about how he, he was the only senior on the team um, that, that the teammates he knows the best weren't there his freshman year. Um, all the guys he came in with freshman year all left after a year, including his roommate, Justin Winslow, or excuse me, Justice Winslow. And um, I, I would imagine that there were a lot of times when it would be, it would have been easy for Grayson Allen to think, I can leave now. Um, you know, all of his all of his classmates leave after a year, so he's he's inevitably probably kind of lonely without them. Um, yep. Then all the stuff that ha- then sophomore year, it's like he's blowing up. He's he's definitely going to be a first round pick. Of course, he's going to leave. And maybe he's like, well, I could stick it out again and do it again. But at the same time, like my guys aren't here anymore. And then junior year, it's so hard on him because he has all this negative attention. And I think that we as Duke fans. Um, th- this kind of goes back to that that question we got last week from a listener about kind of how we respond to to other people when it comes to talking about Duke. One of the the things I hear the most from other fans is, "Oh my God, Grayson Allen, what a jerk! He's the worst." I'm like, I don't know. Like, I consume a lot more of the Duke centric media, I guess, than than people from uh, who support other programs. But it seems like, other than those handful of incidents, Grayson Allen is like the nicest quietest kid um which means that he's probably also pretty emotional because he's not you know so outgoing and gregarious um and i can't imagine how hard it was for him junior year just being like you know being in that pressure cooker of of being the face of duke and having all the issues it i, I well, like look, that, that really, really quick that that moment on the bench in the elon game after after he's tripped the kid and he goes to the bench and he He's so mad at himself, mad at the world. He knows that he has done something that is going to haunt him. And uh, having to having to endure that in front of the whole world. That's every time you see a Grayson Allen highlight and stuff, every time people talk about his career, um, that moment on the bench where he's, you know, where he's pounding on the bench, that's uh, that's part of his image now. And yeah, I agree that the courage, I think it really took courage to to come back from that and and stick around and endure what he knew would be abuse everywhere he went. And I think it's a little bit different from the JJ Reddick story because we we've we've heard a lot about how JJ Reddick kind of struggled, um, you know, with his conditioning and with his like emotional state while he was in school and had a lot of really hard talks with the coaching staff about it. Um, I think he, he's he's touched on that a number of times in recent years. Um, Grace Allen's a totally different different sort of guy than JJ Reddick by all accounts. And maybe, maybe Donald knows more about this than I do because he was on campus around the same time. JJ Reddick was like the life of the party when he was in school. Um, he had, he had more attention than everybody else and he, and he liked it. Uh, so it was, it was probably really different for him. And he, he, I think got the kick in the ass from the coaching staff to like shape up, be better. And now he's where he is. Grayson Allen's like a totally different cat. And, um, and didn't want all this attention and didn't want all that stuff. And I think you could really see as Jason, like you were talking about in his senior speech, how much he appreciates 
the the experience of being at Duke and the whole community that that really rallied around him. And and you could feel that last night um, watching the game and and hearing the speeches. I mean, with JJ, you're talking touching on how how JJ reacted to this. Uh, you know, JJ thrived in the negative pressure. You know, the negative energy. Like he would take that and turn into forty points. You know, he he would do that. He loved doing that. He he thrived in that. And you could tell there were times, even last year, when you know all the everywhere they went on away great on away games. You know, the crowd is getting into Grayson Allen. They're calling him a tripper and and making all these jokes and and going at him and tormenting him the whole game. And he wasn't responding well to it. And and I think the the catches with him is he. I think this was his this was his safe space. This was his home and. I think when he says that he didn't feel like he was going to leave, he wasn't going to leave Duke because that was that was home. And and I think he wanted to see this whole experience out. And we're, we're I think we're all glad that he did. All right, guys. So I want to take it. I want to talk about one more thing before we get to more of the stuff surrounding the game. I want to talk about Marvin Bagley for one second because I think Marvin Bagley in the second half had the kind of plays that make NBA All-Stars say, damn, I don't think I can do that. Um, he, he had his moments where uh, he was, I mean, didn't merely say he was a man playing with boys, like doesn't do it justice. Uh, he, was, uh, he was like a freak, an alien from another planet. Um, it was like he was playing with a cheat code that made everyone else move in slow motion. And I'm specifically thinking of the play where he grabs the rebound along the baseline and he drives toward the basket. There are like three Carolina guys there. And uh, there, there are differing opinions as to whether he tried to make a basket or not. I sort of think he just tossed the ball up off the backboard and he grabs the rebound and slams it. And the notable thing about it is that it's a rebound basket. And usually there are other players going for rebounds. He is slamming the ball through the basket before anyone else has even jumped off the floor. It was, like I said, it was like watching someone playing with a cheat code. This, if this is the Marvin Bagley we're going to get, and the, the, other, the other incredible moment, sorry, was the moment where he had the three offensive rebounds in a row where he's surrounded by Theo Pinson and Luke May and one of the other Carolina players. And they're like just, they're trying to get the ball, but they are basically jumping a full second after he has jumped. And they have no, they're, they're playing catch up the whole time. They have no chance to stop him. It turns into a three-point play. Do you guys agree with me? Did, didn't he look like he was from another planet or something? It looked like he was playing a game different than anyone else plays. And if we get that Marvin Bagley for the next nine games, Duke's playing in nine more games and Duke's winning nine more games. Donald? The, Duke, the Duke social media team um, yeah. uses the, uh, or at least last night a couple times, used a little lion emoji for some of the, some of Bagley's dunks. And what you just described made me think if if in that scene in The Lion King where the wildebeests are stampeding through and they kill Mufasa. Sorry, spoiler alert for The Lion King in case anyone has <laughs> seen it. But imagine if in that scene, instead of the wildebeests trampling Mufasa, Mufasa killed all the wildebeests. That's what Marvin Bagley was doing on the boards last night <laughs> against Carolina. Yo, he was a beast. Like, I don't know. There's no way to describe that. Look, there were times, I guarantee you, in the second half, there were times where he was doing stuff, including that uh, that put-back dunk that you were talking about, Jason, that the rest of the ACC, the rest of the nation was like, oh, crap. Marvin, <laughs> exactly. oh, oh, Marvin Bagley 
oh crap. I don't want to see him ever again on the same court as me. Oh crap. Like he literally changed the the whole scope of the game. We were talking about how against Virginia Tech, the you know, Virginia Tech was putting four people in the lane and daring daring us to shoot. And we were trying to get the ball to Marvin Bagley and it just wasn't happening. Against UNC, they did the same thing. And he somehow said, Hi, I'm Marvin Bagley. I'm the greatest player on the planet. And if he's gonna play like that for the rest of this month and into into April, then we are going to have a lot of times where the rest of the nation is going to be saying, oh, crap. And I love it. So, guys, I'm not sure if you all – did you all notice all the famous people who were at the game? Two Chains. Yo. Two cha- did you shout wait? Out, shout out Two Chains. That was – Did, yo, did you was, see the jacket? Did you see Two Chains' jacket? Did I see his jacket? Of course I saw his jacket. It's Two Chains. That's not even, that's oh not even the most gaudiest jacket he has. Oh, my God. That jacket was something else. Here's the thing, here's the thing about awesome. that jacket. Here's the thing about that jacket. Anyone who's ever been to a game in Cameron Indoor knows, like, what the atmosphere is like in there. And I'm specifically talking about the temperature and yeah. the crowdedness. You can't wear something like that into Cameron. You have to be somebody like 2 Chains to get away with, like, just to walk in there and be like, yep, this is what I'm going to sit here and wear the entire game. Um Man, that is that is. And just, he did during game day too. Else. He did during game day. Also, I'm sorry, we're, we're backtracking a little bit. Shout out, you know, game day, uh, college game day. Shout out to the the student who hit the uh, the half court shot to win eighteen thousand yeah. dollars. Did it yeah. on the second second shot, and it was beautiful. Go and get that money, kid. So the the two chains thing. Did you guys see the Duke basketball Twitter sent out a picture of two chains shaking Coach K's hand? And I mean. <laughs> <laughs> the most hood guy around and the most non-hood guy around. And um, <laughs> when they tweeted it out, they said, Coach K did two chains. Yo, you're wearing my jacket. <laughs> <laughs> they also had one. Uh, they also had uh, uh, two chains posting that same uh, same picture on his Instagram under the uh, caption, Blue Devils Love Trap Music, which is a, is a tie-in to his latest album. So if he's already changing his album title, rock with the blue devils then that's what's up but but i I, so i wanted to mention the other folks that were at the game because the duke carolina game in cameron is the place to be tony romo was there uh larry fitzgerald was there todd Gurley was there the ceo of jp morgan was there the ceo of uh what else was it um the 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 chairman of bain capital the owner of the boston celtics was there the owner of the atlanta hawks were there uh, Steve Wynn was there. The CEO of Facebook was there. It's crazy. You could not go anywhere in the arena without bumping into someone who was incredibly famous. That's just uh, what... yeah. Oh, I'm ahead. sorry, Jason. I, I just want to say that you have forgotten the the biggest celebrity that was there that night, and it was the Cam and Crazies. I want to give a shout out to the Cam and Crazies because they were loud. They brought the it. Game. They brought it. They brought their A game, and that's what we've been asking for all season, and they did it. So biggest celebrities in the room, Cam and Crazies. I love it. I love it. So uh, that's that's all we're going to have for you here on the uh, on the Carolina game. A, a huge win for the Devils. Um, I, gentlemen, I just, I just shudder to think what the margin would have been in that game if we had hit even a mildly normal number of free throws. We would have beaten them by 20. Easy. Easy by 20. Absolutely.
So now that the regular season is done, we have a big week coming up as the ACC champion will be crowned at the ACC tourney. Um, there are several ACC teams playing for their spot, perhaps in the NCAA tournament. There are teams playing for seeding. There are teams playing for top seeds like Duke and Virginia. Um, and, and, and Donald, I'm going to go to you first. Looking at the ACC tourney bracket, um, give me a little, give me your thoughts on on what Duke's going to have. Uh, are we all just assuming, no matter what, that we are going to get Notre Dame that has Bonzi Colson as our first game in the ACC tourney? Is that just a done deal? Well, I don't think it's a done deal, but I obviously will not be surprised if we line up on Thursday night and Notre Dame is is on the other side. Look. They are a 10 seed, but with Bonzi Colson being out for most of the year, Matt Farrell was out for quite some some time. They're all back, and Notre Dame is way better than the 10th best team in the conference with those two guys in the lineup. So I, I think that's going to be the matchup, but I'm not going to sleep on Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech, as we all know, can score the ball, uh, and, and if they can do that against Notre Dame, then it's going to be a really good matchup, and I hope that game goes three or four overtimes uh, before they have to come back and face us. Uh, the following day, but um, I think you know I, I like our I like our setup right now. You know, theoretically, we get Notre Dame or Virginia Tech, we would face Miami or UNC in the semifinals. I think both of those teams are evenly matched. They had an epic game the other night um, in Chapel Hill, ruined Joel Berry uh, senior night along with Luke Mays. I think what's great about that is that as the two seed, we would get two hours extra rest on that matchup if we won. So. Uh, if our defense can continue to click, if we see Marvin O'Crap oh Bagley, uh, and if we can hit our threes on offense, I think that is going to be the advantage here. And, and we've had a lot of these situations already this year where we've played back-to-back-to-back games. Now our team is ready for that. Now it's March, and now our team is, you know, it, in all in all intents and purposes, clicking at, it, it, at its highest cylinder. We don't have a lot of injuries. And I think in the end, that's going to be the advantage. I, I like our chances here in Brooklyn. So, so Sam, let me let me ask you this about the ACC tournament. Have a look at the bracket for a second and tell me, I mean, other than the obvious choice, other than Duke and Virginia, um, who are the, yeah, I think, you know, everyone says those are the two teams that are going to meet in the finals. They're the two teams who pretty clearly have been the best two teams in the ACC this year. Um, uh, you know, not, not to put Miami, Clemson, NC State, North Carolina, teams like that down, um, certainly they are all capable of beating anybody, but it feels like Duke and Virginia, best two teams in the conference. Other than those two, give me your team that you think might surprise a little bit. So I think that Clemson has a, a fairly easy road through the tournament, um, specifically because their first game um, is against an NC State team that I think is kind of up and down, most likely. Um, and uh, And then they would get Virginia in that second game, but, you know, I think that Clemson has a lot of potential and they've, they've managed to sort of, you know, re uh, refocus themselves after, after some pretty bad injuries. The other obvious one, I think as far as sleepers go is Notre Dame um, who got Bonzi Colson back. Looks like he's, he's in game form now after we've seen him um, for two games back in conference, although one of them was against Pittsburgh. However, Notre Dame, even though they have to play early in the tournament, their first game is against Pitt. So, um, they kind of get a freebie through the first round and um, then they have to play Virginia tech and potentially Duke. So it's a tough road for them, but this Notre Dame team looks totally different than any team that basically anyone in the, in the ACC has seen this season. Um, I am very curious to see 
how Notre Dame plays against Virginia Tech and then subsequently potentially against Duke um, because they have they have a lot to play for. They um, could end up in – I don't think right now they're in the tournament. They could end up in the tournament if they, like, upset Duke and make it to the semifinals of the ACC tournament. Um, maybe they have to go a little farther than that, but I, I don't – I, 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 think, I think absolutely if, – if they upset Duke, they're definitely making the – uh, making the NCAA tournament. I mean, look, the, they they played they played Virginia neck and neck at Virginia with Bonzi Colson. Um, I, I think that they're. I, I think the committee has to look at what kind of a team they are with Bonzi and and judge them in that capacity. And if they beat Duke, I think they'll be in. But I I think it's gonna be really hard for them to make a case that they should be in if they only have beaten Pitt and Virginia Tech. Um, right. So, so that, that, that game is going to be really big. They're going to be now desperate. The, yeah. The nice thing I think for Duke is that with the win against Carolina the other night, I'm pretty sure that barring Duke, like looking really bad in a loss in the first game and UNC going on to win the tournament. Um, I'm pretty sure Duke locked up the two seed for the, um, NCAA tournament, which means a couple good things for them. One, it means that, um, that UNC won't be in Charlotte and Duke will with Virginia. Um, we've talked in years past about how hard it is when, you know, the, the um, often the um, highest seeds get sent to sub regionals that are near their homes. And generally you would think this is a good thing um, for Duke. Often this, this can be a disadvantage because they end up in the same pod as North Carolina, who has a lot more local fans than, than Duke does. Um, so Duke being in Charlotte where they're close by, and with Virginia as the other top team there means a hopefully a much less hostile crowd. Um, it also means most likely, again, this is kind of bracketology speculation, but Virginia is going to be, and we actually talked about this, the three of us talked about this in a chat earlier this week. Virginia is is almost certainly going to be the number one seed in the NCAA tournament, the overall number one seed. Um, they are likely going to pick that they want to be in the South region because you get that opportunity as the overall number one Duke would then probably end up in the East regional. Even if that was swapped around and Duke ends up in the South and, and UVA is in the East um, either way, Duke doesn't have to travel very far to get to the final four. Unless and that's something. Wait, wait, um, that's it. That's if we're a two seed, if we're a one seed, which is still very, very possible, then I don't think we're going to get the East. I think Villanova is going to get the East. Um, and I think Duke, probably maybe goes to the Midwest or the West. Um, Again, depending on who all the, who all the teams are. Right. Um, right. But I, I think that the, the most likely outcome from this week is going to be um, Duke being a, um, being a two seed because Michigan state, I think still has um, a slightly better resume, even though they didn't win their conference tournament, which already happened. Um, they did make it to yeah, the semifinals. Dude, I don't think so. Uh, we'll, we'll have to agree to disagree on that one. I, all I, right. I, th I think our competition is Kansas, um, and I, I actually think unless Xavier wins the Big East, I think Duke and Kansas are both going to get number one seeds. In which case, assume, Duke could end up getting sent out west. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, assume, assuming Duke wins the – if Duke wins the ACC or Duke even makes the finals of the ACC, um, I think that the number one seeds will be Villanova, Virginia, Duke, and Kansas. And I think that, you know, Michigan State will be uh, a, a two probably in the Midwest. Purdue will probably be a two. 
Um, and we can get it, you know, it, it, it goes on and it's on. It's all very deep stuff, but um, I don't think we're going to be able to talk again until after the brackets come out. So here's all of our bracket predictions um, as far as what the committee is going to do. But there's obviously <laughs> exactly a lot right. of basketball left. Right. There is a lot of basketball left. The, the, the comment that I would have on the ACC tournament, um, I think Virginia is vulnerable. I think Virginia is very vulnerable. Um, they, if you look at their results a few weeks ago versus the past week or so, boy, it's it's a very different. They they look like a slightly different team. A few weeks ago, they were throttling teams. They were beating everyone and beating them badly, and it looked like no one could score on them at all. Um, it looked like Virginia was almost toying with teams. Eh, not so much anymore. I'm looking forward to the Florida State Louisville winner, especially if it is Louisville, to give Virginia a really tough game. This is this is my ACC potential upset pick because, oh my gosh, Louisville knows they can beat Virginia. What happened to Louisville this week? <laughs> it, we was an epic, it was an epic implosion. Epic implosion. I mean, the game was done. It was How? over. They <laughs> led... They led by four with two seconds left. No, no, no. They led by four with 0.9 seconds left. Right. And but somehow I'm, still lost. I'm saying, <laughs> like, if they merely don't, like, if they had just said, Virginia, do whatever you want. They, the five of the, the five Louisville players should have stood on the sideline next to their coach and not been anywhere near anyone from Virginia. The only possibility Virginia has to win, the only way they can possibly win is if they get fouled. And Louisville fouls the three-point shooter. You know, but even then, even then they can't possibly lose unless they do something stupid like turn the ball over on the inbounds play. If they if they only throw the ball into the backcourt, put all four other guys at the, at the opposite free throw line and just toss it in the backcourt. Game over. Game over. It was such an epic meltdown that I'm looking forward to seeing how Louisville responds if they get another shot at Virginia. To me, did that it, would be must-see TV. Did UVA guard the inbounds pass? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they literally could have just thrown it off the UVA player's leg, and you probably would have wasted 0.9 seconds. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's also, it's also been pointed out that they could have just placed the ball on the floor because there'd be no, there's not enough time for the Virginia guy to grab the ball off the floor and turn around and put up a shot. They found there, there was, there were a million paths to victory and one path to defeat, and Louisville found that path. And, and by the way, I blame their coach, David Padgett. I've said it before in this podcast. I'll say it again. David Padgett is in over his head and I can't imagine they're going to keep him. They can't keep him. This is too, too good a program, too important a program for them to leave it in the hands of a guy who uh, seems like he's a nice guy. I like him. I wish him all the success in the world, but he's just not a good enough coach. He's just, he's not ready. He's not ready. So it's time for a shout out to our sponsor, the uh, guys from Bird Campbell, the, uh, the law firm Bird Campbell means business. And uh, I asked the guys if they would send me some comments um, about the Carolina game. Um, and, and specifically, I asked them to send me comments about um, uh, about Grayson Allen. And Tucker Bird came through with some really, really beautiful comments 
Uh, and he wrote this, and I just want to read it to all you fans out there. He said, any parent will tell you that they're only as happy as their saddest child. Much the same way the Duke family has embraced Grayson Allen. With his struggles, we all struggled. With his resilience, we all saw a little bit of ourselves. With his triumphs, we all shared in the pride. And yes, the happiness with the Carolina win being a fitting finish to his career. Tucker Bird went on and said, I want to bring away from those players who are blessed to have the ability to leave Duke early for the NBA. But I would say this, play at Duke and leave early and you may leave an impression, maybe even get rich. But if you stay at Duke through the entire journey, you may leave a legacy. Grayson Allen will be the name we all remember for years from now as we reminisce about those players who came in with the great class of 2014, the kid who fought hard, cared harder, and in the end, loved Duke more than he loved himself. He gave it his all and made us proud to say he was a member of the Duke family. Really beautiful words there from Tucker Bird of Bird Campbell um, about Grayson Allen, who we are so sad to see play his final game in Cameron, but we know has many great moments left in a Duke uniform. Thanks a lot, Tucker Bird. Thanks, Jamie Campbell for uh, your sponsorship of the podcast and for those very nice words about Grayson Allen. Guys, I want to get to the all ACC teams that were announced today. Uh, and uh, our Marvin Bagley, Duke's Marvin Bagley, was a unanimous first team all ACC player. And he was also named ACC player of the year. And he was named ACC freshman of the year. He is only the second person in history to be named freshman of the year and player of the year. The other one being Jalil Okafor just a couple of years ago. Uh, lots to unpack about the All-ACC teams. Uh, uh, Wendell Carter Jr. makes the All-ACC second team. Grayson Allen just barely misses the second team, makes the third team. Um, uh, and uh, and on the All-Freshman all team, the All-Rookie team, both um, Carter and Bagley, of course, made that. That was like a foregone conclusion. They were the top two vote getters. There's some crazy person out there. Uh, Bagley was unanimous for the all-freshman team. Wendell Carter was not unanimous. He he got 56 out of 57 votes, which means that somewhere out there, there is an individual who is walking and talking and breathing and casting votes who does not have a brain. We need to find this man. We need to figure out how he is able to function without a brain because it would take someone without a brain to not say that Wendell Carter Jr. was a member of the ACC all-freshman team. But putting that aside, Sam, I'm going to go to you first. I want you to give me, because there's tons we could talk about with this, and we just don't have the time. Give me one thing you really like about the All-ACC teams and one thing you really hate. Go for it, buddy. So I'll start with something that I don't necessarily like, which is, um, and, and this is a little bit of a, a contradiction to how much we pumped him up earlier, but I don't really think that Grayson Allen deserved to be nearly second team All-ACC this year. He had a pretty up-and-down conference season. Now, was, his last he was, week, he was third team, you know. He was almost second. He was, team. I know he was thirteen, but he was almost second team. Um, I think he was like he was like just a few votes away from being second team. And and I think if you look at the whole package of his ACC play this year, um, it was good. It was not one of the best fifteen players in the conference. Good. And and I'm saying that as a am I as a dude, am, am I allowed fan. am I allowed to take umbrage with this? Am I allowed to disagree sure. with you? Because Go for it. I, I, I don't necessarily think he'd need to be second team, but I think third team was perfectly appropriate for him. And I, I think that you have to look at what Grayson Allen became over the final few weeks of the season. Um, 
I agree with you that the first, say, month of ACC play, Grayson Allen was struggling, and Grayson Allen was not one of the top 15 players in the ACC. But he turned into an absolute beast when Marvin Bagley went out, and he continued to do great things after Bagley came back. Um, you can make a pretty good argument that the four games that that Bagley was out, Grayson Allen was the best player in the ACC. If you look at what he was doing in those games, running the offense, putting up huge points, putting up big assist numbers, not having a lot of turnovers, spearheading Duke's defense. I mean, Grayson Allen was the best player in the conference for that brief stretch. And, you know, I think if you take that and add it on to some things he did elsewhere in the season and then after that stretch, I think third team is perfectly appropriate for a guy this good. And and, and the other thing is, let's not forget his leadership. I mean, yeah, he but was it, the, he was the reason Duke was able to keep their season afloat when the, when it looked like it was going south a couple times. Sure, but I don't think that we have enough insight into the other ACC teams to to say Grayson Allen's leadership was worth so much more than all the leadership on all the other teams that that were I, out I hear there you. and that, and that I hear performed you. well. Um, I think that's the that's the challenge here is that is that when the conference expanded, the conference has 16 teams now. Um, I, Marvin Bagley, I think, definitely deserves to be on the first team. Wendell Carter makes sense that he's on the second team. I don't know that Duke has three of the best, had like three of the best performers of the top 15 among 16, te- well, 15 teams. We're not going to count Pittsburgh. Um, they're, they're, uh, by the way, among, they're, among they're, they're, there are only 15 teams in the conference. Well, there are 16, there are 16 right? Or 15 or 15. 16? They're 15. They're 15. It's fine. Oh, my goodness. There were 16 in the old Big East. There are 15 now, and there are 14 in football <laughs> because of Notre Dame. Right. Excuse me. Yes. Um, yes. You're I forgiven. I apologize. Um, things I like on the ACC team, I don't know. Um, the, the, I think kind of going back, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cop out of this question by saying it's all fine except for the things that we find that are wrong with it because there are so many ways you can go with it. Um, I am glad that they – that they put a, this is going to be another complaint. I'm glad they put a UVA guy first team. I don't know that it should have been Kyle guy. Yeah. I don't Um, think it should have been now. And I think it's tough because Virginia is so predicated on their defense and their defense is so good and is such a team effort. Um, It's not that they have in particular standout defensive players because they play the same defensive game plan every year and they just learn it so well. Um, so it's kind of hard to recognize them for that. I, I think it's weird that Kyle Guy got the first team. So I don't know. There's nothing I particularly like about the AC, all ACC teams. I'm just going to complain about about things that don't make sense to me. And the other thing that doesn't make sense to me, and I'll, I'll, I'll keep this quick. I don't like that there's such a difference between the all ACC teams and the all defense teams because defense is half the game. Um, so like half the guys on the all defense teams should be the all AC, should also be on the all ACC list. It's just a weird thing, Donald. Be more positive. Okay. Well, let me be positive with this. This is what I don't like. I want to know who the fool is that voted DeAndre Hunter rookie of the year. I, I want to know who that guy is because I want to I want to understand what in his brain allowed him to vote DeAndre Hunter over Marvin Bagley. It's it, I DeAndre Hunter is a fine player. I thought he had a great season, but he is not Marvin Bagley the third. That's what I don't like about this list. What I do like about this list, and- by the way, I think so. I think the only argument, I think the way you could possibly, maybe a little tiny bit, vote for DeAndre Hunter is you could say, yeah, but Bagley missed four games. I mean, Bagley missed uh, like almost a quarter of the ACC schedule. 
So yeah, there's I, a double double <laughs> in that time. There was 20 and 11. Get out of here with that. Marvin Bagley, Marvin Bagley was more valuable in 14 games than DeAndre Hunter was in 18. So, yeah, no, Marvin Bagley was more valuable in seven games than DeAndre Hunter was in 18. I agree. I'm just trying to say this is how someone could rationalize it in their head. They'd be crazy, they'd be smoking something. But that's how they'd rationalize it. No, I'm don't, just say, don't, 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 don't step in for this man <laughs> on the firing squad. Let that man come forward and take his place in front of the Inquisition and understand why he decided to vote DeAndre Hunter. That's the one part I like. But I will talk about something that I did like. I watched a lot of games this year involving Virginia Tech, and I was, I honestly, I thought Justin Robinson should have gotten more votes, uh, and possibly I wouldn't have been surprised to see him on the first team. I thought he had a really, really good season for Virginia Tech and really was the reason why Virginia Tech has been just kind of nipping away and kind of being right in the middle and, and beating some of these teams like they beat Duke, they beat Virginia. I think Justin Robinson was their motor and uh, watching him play this year was actually, you know, I thought he played really well and probably should have deserved more votes. So I was glad to see him at least on the second team, but I wouldn't have been surprised to see him on the first team. So Sam kind of alluded to the one thing that I didn't like which is has to do with Virginia and defense and the notion that defense is half of the game. I I can't I can't understand how Isaiah Wilkins who was the best defensive player in the ACC he 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 won ACC defensive player of the year he was he was you know the the leading vote getter on the all defensive team Isaiah Wilkins is a freak on defense he causes problems for teams he's absolutely incredible I don't understand how Isaiah Wilkins could be the best at half of the sport. Half of the game is defense. He's the best at half of the game, and he's not on any of the uh, of the three all ACC teams. In fact, he doesn't even get honorable mention votes. Like that's that's wrong. That makes no sense to me whatsoever. That's merely focusing on offense. It's like. It's like the all ACC team is, hey, let's pick the the 15 best offensive players and not even think about defense. It's absurd. It's ridiculous. Um, it, it makes no sense to me at, at all. Devin Hall of Virginia is on the second team. Uh, Devin Hall should be on the first team. That's like not even a that's not even a question. Devin Hall should absolutely be on the first team. If Virginia played at a faster pace. Devin Hall would have averaged 16 points a game easily. Uh, It's insane that he, the the dude shot almost 50% from three. He was 45% from three. And he's one of the, he's probably the second best defensive player in the ACC after Isaiah Wilkins. How is Devin Hall not on the first team all ACC? It's, it's crazy. It's sports writers who can only see one thing. And that, that one thing is offensive stats. It's, it's the way Jerome Robinson of Boston College made the All-ACC first team. And look, Jerome Robinson, he averaged 20 points a game this year. And, and Boston College was way better than anyone expected. I'm tipping my cap to you right now. And Jerome Robinson, you were a huge, huge major part of why Boston College was actually competitive this year in the ACC, why they beat teams like Duke. And that's great. But Jerome Robinson, that, the, the number 12 team in the ACC does not belong no one from that team should be on the All-ACC first team. We see it all the time in the NBA. The best players play on the best teams. If you're a truly great player, your team doesn't suck. 
Jerome Robinson shouldn't have been all ACC first team. Amen been- to that, Jason. I, I believe I agree with you. Can yeah. I can I pick another bone real quick? Just just yeah, a slight go. one. Go. Um, yeah. I, I'd like to, you know, look, I think Tony Bennett did a fantastic job uh at Virginia this year and deserves kudos for being one of the best coaches in the ACC. However, I do think that because of what I, I think Tony Bennett fell into something that, you know, is the reason why Coach K never gets coach of the year anymore. Their team was supposed to be good. Virginia was supposed to be good, and they ended up being good. I think the coach of the year should have been Kevin Keats from NC State because I think NC State really out outpunched their weight class the entire season. Uh, and, and, you know, they had some great wins. I know they were up and down, but they end up as a five seed, which is not where I would have thought they would have been. So uh, I just want to give a shout-out to Kevin Keats. I thought he was should have been the coach of the year. I understand why they gave it to Tony Bennett, but in the lines of – you know, Coach K will never get this award again because we're always supposed to be good. Uh, I think UVA was supposed to be good, and well, wait, they, is... they they were not supposed to be this. They weren't even supposed to be close to this good. They were. Well, that's UVA true. Was, I agree. At, I agree. With at that. best, folks were picking UVA for maybe sixth or seventh in the ACC preseason. They were not a preseason top twenty-five team, and now we're looking at the polls and we're saying they're the one team that doesn't have to worry about what happens in the rest of their games. They're automatically getting a number one seed, probably automatically getting the top number one seed in the NCAA tournament. Um, but I, I kind of agree with you. I think what Kevin Keats did at NC State, coming into a brand new situation, these were not the players he recruited. This is not the team he put together. And for NC State to do what they did this year was really, really impressive. I'm not sure. There are, there are not many teams who have a collection of wins as good as NC State's wins this year. Um, they have some big, big victories. Although Virginia and, Tech's got a bunch of them too. I think that Buzz Williams, if we're talking about um, we're talking about these sort of underrated coaches. Buzz Williams did a fantastic job this year at Virginia Tech. Um, Buzz Williams didn't even get a coach of the year vote. The other votes, it was Tony Bennett, then Brad Brownell at Clemson, who also did a great job. Clemson was another team that wasn't supposed to be very good this year. They they, they finished fourth in the conference. The, the, the conference was full of guys who did a great job this year. I, I think partially because we had <laughs> we had teams like um, like Syracuse and like Louisville, who people thought were going to be good, who ended up being really bad. And so it allowed a lot of other teams to rise up and be better than expect. Uh, really, you know, we also, we also thought that Pittsburgh was going to play in the ACC this year. Yeah. I don't and, think they showed and, up. And that didn't, and that didn't really happen. Is Kevin Stallings going to get fired? Like he has to, right? I mean, he's only been there like two years, right? But this is, I mean, like I, I, I pile on to Pitt a lot on this show, but man, they were so bad this year. Like, I, I don't know if people appreciate how bad it was, even relative to those Boston College teams from a few years ago that like weren't competitive, but they were still like 120 to 150th in Ken Palm. Like this Pitt team was like around 200th in Ken Palm. Um, Two thirty six. 236. That is an outrageous number for, for a power team. I mean, so, so Cal State Bakersfield, Cal State Bakersfield was better than Pitt. Columbia, Columbia was better. Like, there are a lot of teams in the Ivy that don't give scholarships that were better than Pitt. That's bad. Man. That's really Ke- bad. Kevin Stallings was not the ACC coach of the year. But there, as, as you point out, Jason, <laughs> it, it, there, was, there was kind of a lot of fluidity among 
the like the the presumably good teams not being so good and the presumably not as good teams sort of being better than expected. Um, so Brownell, Buzz Williams, um, I mean Tony Bennett. I, I don't know if like we really thought that the that the Cavs were going to be sixth in the ACC. Maybe the media did, but like counting out Tony Bennett seems like a seems like a silly thing at this point. And 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 I'm glad that he's winning Coach of the Year votes because I think that. Um, because he he did the best job perhaps in the conference this year, right? They won they won the conference. They did so mostly looking dominant against everybody. Um, so uh, I think it's a fine selection. But as we point out, there are a lot of coaches that I think did really admirable um, coaching jobs this year in the ACC. And the tournament up in Brooklyn is going to be a ton of fun. Gentlemen, we're getting ready to wrap it up here. We're getting close to the end. We are going to go for our player of the week. And uh, really, it's the player of the game um, because we only had one game. We already talked about Virginia Tech earlier this week. So the only game we have to talk about is the game against the hated Tar Heels. Sam, I'll go to you first. Who is your player of the game against UNC? Well, I think that everybody, a, a lot of players played really well against Carolina. And, and I think, Jason, you already said that yours is Trevon Duval. Um, which I think is totally fine. I'm going to go with Marvin Bagley. Um, all the dunks oh, and the rebounds. And, how could you pick? <laughs> and all the and all the ferocity. I mean, just like it. It was like he he and and maybe this is the case. Maybe he heard all of the discussion the last week about man was Duke playing better without Marvin Bagley. Oh, the, yada, yada, the, talk, yada. Hey, the talk is that that um, that someone played for him. I think maybe even the Duke coaching staff played for him the comments by Dan Dakich that we talked about last week. Hey, keep having Dan Dakich around <laughs> if only for that because Marvin Bagley was an unstoppable force in this game against Carolina. Donald, who you got? He's the ACC player of the year. He's the rookie of the year, and he was absolutely the player of the game against UNC. 21 points, 15 rebounds, absolute force. His name is Marvin Bagley III. So like I said earlier, I'm going with the point guard off the bench, Trevon Duval. Um, six assists, no turnovers. He hit a huge three-pointer that was Duke's first three-pointer on the game. We were – or maybe it wasn't our first. I, it, it, we were struggling. We were struggling big time from the outside. We passed the ball out to him, and he hit a huge, huge shot that, that sort of started the big rally. And then the rest of the rally was Duval penetrating and dishing to Marvin Bagley – for tons and tons and tons of easy slam dunks. Um, and so, I, I, and I thought his defense was absolutely ridiculous. One of the untold stories of this game was Duke's ability to frustrate uh, Joel Berry of North Carolina. Berry was 0 for 7 from 3. That's the worst game he's had from the perimeter in his entire career. In fact, there have been only three games all year where Joel Berry didn't hit a three-pointer. He was 0 for 1 in one game. He was 0 for 3 in one game. And then this game, he was 0 for 7. And the perimeter defense, the length, the quickness of Trevon Duvall and also Grayson Allen and Gary Trent to a lesser extent. But I, I think Duvall was the main guy, is a, a large part of why the Blue Devils were able to uh, um, to frustrate North Carolina so much in the perimeter. And so that's why as great as Bagley was and as fabulous a line as Grayson Allen had across all the stats, Trevon Duvall was my pick for player of the week. (laughs) 
Guys, we're about to wrap it up. It's time for our parting shots. And Donald, I will go to you first. What you got for me? Well, guys, as you guys know, I am a huge soccer fan. I just actually came back from uh, New Jersey where I was watching the United States women's team play uh, in the She Believes Cup. But I want to give a shout out to Major League Soccer, who has opened their season, 2018 season, this weekend. MLS is back, y'all. And as you guys know, I'm a big DC United fan. So if you are in the DC United area, or you're not the DC United area, if you're in the DC area and you want to come to a DC United game, holler at me. I'll be in the supporter section, loud and proud like I always am. But I will also, Jason, I will be in your neck of the woods this weekend. Uh, this is a surprise. Uh, yeah. Atlanta United is opening against DC United. And as you guys know, I will be down there supporting my team. My best friend lives down there. And I am going to go with her to the game. So, Jason, next week's podcast might be from your couch. I love it. I love it. You're always welcome. Sam, what you got for a parting shot for me? Uh, a little bit more ACC discussion. So um, it was obviously senior night around the ACC all this week. And uh, for FSU's senior game the other day, um, FSU has a has a senior player named Brian Angola. We've seen him before in games. And uh, he is from Columbia, the country, not South Carolina. Um, and uh, I would imagine that given that he is from such a faraway place, that it is hard for his family to come see his games. And uh, he had, I guess that the FSU program organized it so that his mother was able to attend um, senior night for Brian and they didn't tell him. So they were announcing his name at senior night and he was like getting his recognition and the, and the PA announcer was like, and by the way, we, we've got Brian's mom here from, from Columbia. And he was like totally taken aback. He's crying. She's everyone's crying. Uh, it was really beautiful. And um, so uh, great, great job by the FSU program to keep that thing a secret and and to have such a special thing um, for a uh, departing senior. You know, college basketball, it seems sometimes like our focus is always on the guys who are going off to the NBA, the best players, the guys who are going to be lottery picks and the such. But there's something really beautiful about the seniors and, uh, you know, and all the tears that happen all across the country as these guys are wrapping up their careers. They're, they're not looking necessarily at going to the NBA or playing, you know, anywhere else in the world. Um, they, they just they, they just know that they spent four years bleeding um, uh, along with their teammates out there on the court. And, and it's really emotional. It's really it's, it's great to see. I, I, I love those moments. They're fabulous. So for my parting shot, gentlemen, I want to talk about why pro basketball, why basketball in general, but why pro basketball is the most fun sport in the world to watch. And the way I want to talk about it is I want to ask you gentlemen a question. I want to ask you which was more impressive, which had your jaw on the floor more. Was it James Harden breaking Wesley Johnson's ankles, laughing at him and then burying a three-point shot? Or was it LeBron James going behind his back between Tristan Thompson's legs at the same time? Which incredible break-the-internet NBA play did you think was more impressive? James Harden stealing Wesley Johnson's soul or LeBron James proving to be a magician by going behind his back and through Tristan Thompson's legs? Sam, which was more impressive? <laughs> okay, I'm going to cheat because I haven't seen the LeBron clip yet. But Oh, um, my God. Wait a second. You haven't go, seen yeah, yeah, go watch the clip and then come back. Oh, go watch my it. God. I you can't. Go watch the clip and come back. All right. I'm, I'm going to – can never, we do this real time? Can we do this real time? Yes, yes we you, can. You yeah, have you look that clip up right now. Dude, okay. you have never seen anything like this. 
I don't know, man. I don't I don't think I had ever seen anything like the uh um like the James Harden thing. And I watched the James Harden clip, I don't know, 30 times. All right, I, I have the LeBron thing here, and I need this to replay. Let me see what he does here. What the oh my god! <laughs> Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So Tristan Thompson's legs are like not even actually spread apart. Um Tristan Thompson's like setting a pick and and his legs are like kind of together. Like they're, yeah. they're barely the width of the ball. LeBron's a magician. He's from another planet. That was not there. He, he you know what? Space I'm, time. He does not adhere to the same rules of space time as the rest of us. All right. I'm on watch number six. I think now. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm actually not positive that LeBron did what did hear exactly what he meant to do. Oh, oh um, he yeah. said yeah. he and Tristan Thompson have said that they didn't know that he'd done it until like halftime and someone asked them about it. They're like, what happened? I put yeah. it between his legs. So, so the, the, the thing about the the thing about the Harden play is that um James and James Harden has an attitude that I, I think nobody else in the NBA has where he's just like, I'm just better than everyone else. There's that amazing gif of him uh doing the post-game interview or the halftime interview where he just like he he like stares off the the interviewer and kind of walks away. Um that that is like so amazing, but the this play the other night, he he murdered. Uh, well, it was Wesley Johnson, Wesley Johnson. right? Yeah. Wesley he Johnson. murdered Wesley Johnson, and then he kind of stood over his corpse for a while and kind of looked at him. And everybody else on the court was also just like, "What? What do we do now?" Um, like he had time to really gather his thoughts, you know, write a short story, and then bury a three, and then kind of look around and be like, mm-hmm. "Like this, that that's it." Um, so I'm going to give it to James Harden, even though the LeBron thing is awesome. James right, Harden. Donald, Donald, your turn. Yeah, which, which is greater? James Harden did probably the most disrespectful thing in NBA history. It was so next to, next to Next to Sean Kemp, dunking an old dude and then pointing at him. Like, that. that's it. Like, Wesley Johnson, when he got up, like, if I were him, I would have just run right off the court, right into the locker room, grabbed all of my stuff, cleared out my locker, and I would have announced my retirement during the game because – there is nothing more disrespectful in the last, I'd say, 15 years than what James Harden did to Wesley Johnson. I, I think his the own team, that, his own team was laughing at him. Like the only, his own the only team thing that I can think of him at that moment. The only thing I can think of that was so overtly disrespectful, like that, the way that you put it, is Allen Iverson stepping over to Ron Liu. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is which is awesome, and uh-huh. and you should never go like more than six months without watching that. Um, and, and, and now I feel the same way about the Harden thing. Some guys on ESPN, I was listening to ESPN radio and they were talking about the Harden thing. And, and these guys said that Wesley Johnson, there, there was only one thing that Wesley Johnson could do. What he needed to do was when he went to the floor, he needed to like do one of those like attempted breakdance kind of things, you know, try and spin around a little bit and then end with like put your head on your uh, on your hand and, and your elbow on the floor like you're in a, mm-hmm. a breakdance pose at the end of a breakdance like they said he needed to do something to 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 be like yeah i'm supposed to be here i'm supposed to he be was, down here he was not even floor. in the frame anymore oh like harden harden uh harden broke his ankle so hard that he disappeared from the frame yes and, and the only people in the frame that were in the clippers were all laughing like they were laughing on the court they were laughing on the sidelines, people in the stands. You can see how many people in the stands like stood up immediately because at that point, this is an and one mixtape thing. Like, if Harden 
had decided to throw the ball in the stands and walk off the court, it still would have been the most disrespectful thing ever. Like, <laughs> but the fact that he did that, he stopped for like 10 seconds, basically waited for Wesley Johnson to get up and then drained a three. I, I just it incredible. I, I I disrespectful, loved it every second of it. All, I've but, probably but seen it about a million times. We we say disrespectful. We mean that in the I mean most that fully way possible. I mean yes, that fully. is <laughs> That, 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 is, that is prime disrespect. I mean, that is the no, best form of disrespect. Look, Wesley Johnson literally had two things he could have done. He, it is not breakdancing. One, he could have gotten up, run off the court, and retired. The other, he could have got up and literally just decided to just throw hands with James Harden because, you know, if someone <laughs> snatches your soul like that, you got to go get it back. <laughs> so I'm going to say, as much as we've talked about the James Harden play and Wesley Johnson, I, I, I cannot – stop watching the LeBron James play precisely because like Sam said, I'm like, there isn't room between Tristan Thompson's legs for that to happen. Like it shouldn't work that there is a finite amount of space between Tristan Thompson's legs. And there is a finite amount of space that a basketball takes up. A basketball exists in an area that is not larger than the space between Tristan Thompson's legs. I mean, and I don't know how LeBron did that. I can't the theory of relativity. Watching. The theory of relativity does say that there is a a chance that an object can just appear somewhere else. So, and that's what I think happened. That's why I say LeBron is from another planet. He is not governed by the same rules of space time as the rest of us. That's my only explanation for that. I can't even believe he attempted it. Like, I, how did it not hit one of the defenders? He's double teamed. See, that's the thing. Behind? I don't think he attempted to go through Tristan Thompson's legs. No! He attempted to go behind his back, and it just happened to go through his legs. That's why I give the edge to James Harden. Well, it was a ton of fun, and I'm, I'm so glad that we all got to enjoy those two great moments. And like I said, those moments are the proof that basketball is the best sport around because dudes, ain't no one talking about baseball that way. And the only time we talk about football that way is if – some guy makes like a one-handed catch or something like that. So, well, in 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 baseball, when cool stuff like like that happens, it then is it then is like totally undone because the next time that player comes up to bat, he gets plunked. Um, so, which fact, you're is, right, you're right. Dumb. Like uh, when when Jose Bautista hit the hit the home run in the playoffs a couple of years ago for the Blue Jays at, in, uh, yeah. in the Rogers Center, that was about as swaggy as as what James Harden did. The problem is that, like, it just doesn't have, it, like, you can't have that same reaction because it, 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 it just doesn't work. The, the game doesn't work like that. Yep. So true. So true. Well, folks, that's going to leave it for us here on DBR podcast number one, one, zero, 110 of these in the books for you. Um, I am Jason Evans. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, if you have not, rated us on iTunes. If you have not gone to wherever it is you listen to this podcast and given us a five-star rating, you need to go do it right now. We appreciate those ratings. We love those comments that we get on iTunes and elsewhere. Please, please, please do that. It helps us with search results. It helps us with prestige and all those other kind of things. So, so please help us out in that way. If you want to be a sponsor of the DBR podcast, if you want to ask us a question, any of that kind of stuff, interact with us. Send us an email at dbrpodcast at gmail.com dbrpodcast at gmail.com or 
Come visit us on the DBR forums, the DBR boards. We are there all the time. There's always a thread about each and every one of these podcasts, and you can put your comments in there. And I'll tell you a little hint. If you want reputation points on the DBR boards, if you want those extra little pitchforks, if you don't want any of those flames, put a nice comment in the thread. I tend to give pitchfork points to just about anybody who says a nice thing about the podcast in the thread. Don't tell anyone that I told you about that. It's my, our little secret. But if you comment about the podcast, I'm probably going to give you pitchfork points. That's it for me. I am Jason Evans, Sam Klein, Donald Wine. Thank you for joining me again. We got the ACC tournament coming up, people. We'll be back at you after it's over, and we are ready for March Madness. Duke Band, take us home.